Welcome to the Athletes Mindset Academy podcast, where we help gymnastics coaches and parents develop happy, healthy athletes who know how to win. Let's get started. Hi, guys. This is Coach Ryan with Athletes Mindset Academy, and we are excited to have you on our podcast today uh, with Coach Amy, and we have a special guest. His name is Jesse Funk. And we're going to be introducing Jesse and all of his challenges, skills, and abilities that he's been through. Also, his podcast and some of the things that he does to help all of the athletes and the people in his world. As you know, Athletes Mindset Academy is helping athletes to better their mental core so that we can help them win and be able to go out and achieve all of their athletic goals. I know that people have not been able to do that this past year with COVID, and we're hoping to be able to help everybody create a better mental state as they're coming back into their sports this year. So we want to introduce to you Jesse Funk. He is going to be joining us today, and we're going to have some fun with Jesse. And I think there's a lag in my feed. I can see my mouth and I, <laughs> moving behind me. So we'll just go with that. But I was reading a little bit about Jesse and I was very impressed. He was a black belt at the age of 16. My daughter is um, 14 and she is taking karate, but she's nowhere near a black belt. Although she could probably beat up her brothers. Um, started running competitively at the age of 12. He has uh, played the violin and uh, is at the Liberty Symphony, right, Jesse? Yep. Assuming that the, the symphony continues, but that's a different story. <laughs> okay. So if we get a chance and we have some time, maybe he'll break out and play a little bit for us, but <laughs> I don't know if that'll ever happen. Um, he's been a musical composer. Um, so it's kind of interesting. I like the fact that you're very diverse and you've had musical background, you've had athletic background. And the biggest thing that I want to focus on today is you are a triathlon superstar and or athlete. Is that right? Um, I mean, I, with, given the people that I know, I wouldn't consider myself a superstar. Um, I certainly know superstars. Um, but I mean, I was heavily involved in the sport for eight, nine years post-college trying to earn a mm. professional license. And unfortunately that didn't happen for me, uh, but I uh, got to know a lot of great people and learn a lot about sport and can, you know, still be pretty competitive as an amateur. Yeah. I, um, going through high school was a swimmer, um, broke my nose swimming. I swam on the, the varsity team as a sophomore. My arms are super long and my hands are big so I can move through the water really well. And my body is very thin. So I was a really good swimmer. So as I was reading, I couldn't imagine though, it says you swam like eight to 10 hours a week that you were spending in the pool. No, that, no, that's my typical work overall workout load uh, right now. Um, uh, I have to look at where that came from, uh, whether that was me mistyping something. Um, so the height of training, I would say I was doing, so three, three, four days in the pool a week. So I was at like 15, somewhere between like 15, 18,000 yards. And I can complete um, about 3,000 years. So it was maybe four or five hours of swimming a week on top of everything mm -hmm. else. Um, but 
at the which along with all that the height of it swimming uh biking running i was probably putting in 18 to 20 hours of workouts a week um which was pretty stressful so wow so did you get a chance to actually do a triathlon yeah um so i mean from the time i graduated college on through basically last year where i didn't do anything and you know everything was canceled and we didn't go anywhere um i mean i was doing a, a minimum of five a year typically um so in I, I often raced the Olympic distance, which is lasts a little over two hours. And then I went on for a couple of years to kind of more specialize in the half Ironman distance, which for me was about a four and a half hour event. Um, and I would do a mix of those. So it wouldn't be five half Ironmans or, you know, whatever it, it mm. would be a mix of Olympic and, and the half iron um, in a given season. So Wow. So when you say <laughs> the Ironman took about four to five hours, I'm, I'm blown away. The only Ironman that I have ever done was um, I didn't do it myself. I had two other people. So it was a, a, a cross country ski and then a mountain bike and then a run. I did the mountain bike part and it was 36 miles, I think. And it took me about six hours <laughs> I mean, it was so intense. I didn't train at all. I just woke up that morning and I'm like, I just want to run this thing. And, and so me and my brothers did it. And it was, uh, it wasn't pretty. It, <laughs> it yeah. was last place. We came in last. <laughs> yeah, it's going to hurt. Yeah, no. I, so like to clarify, the official Ironman branding is 70.3. So it's their half version. It's the one that happens in Kona, which is the world championship. It's 140.6 miles long. The pros will finish it in about eight hours. If I decided to go that distance, I think somewhere between the 10 to 11 hour mark would probably be where I would come in. So I, mm. I did the half version. The half marathons. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So th that's what the 70.3 Ironmans is what took um, four, four and a half hours. Um, so it's a, a mile, a little over a mile swim, a 56 mile bike, and then a half marathon running at the end of that. So. It's really that hard is. to appreciate that kind of uh, work ethic. I mean, that that kind of training to go into it and just what that means, mm. unless you've experienced it, I, I believe. It. I've watched a lot of them, and, and it's just really hard for me to even imagine how much energy and how much you have to prepare for something like that and what, what is involved in that. That's not just a, obviously an easy feat, but... I mean, when somebody says they're running, you know, they're going, going to the Ironman, they're going to do this triathlon. You don't really think of much except for, well, that's crazy. Why would you do that? But you don't really understand exactly what pushes you, what motivates you and why you keep doing something like that for your body. But there is something there that's rewarding, obviously, otherwise you wouldn't keep doing it. So Jesse, tell us, why is it something that you pursued so much? Why do you like to put in those kind of hours for, for something, you know? <laughs> You know, so funny enough, I was actually talking with uh, Leah Gingrich on my podcast about this just last Friday. Um, she's an Olympic hopeful swimmer who's come back to the pool after six years off um, trying to make Olympic team. And uh, it's different for everybody trying to figure out what your motivation is. I, I always say or make a suggestion to people when they say, oh, I want to do this, whether it's a 5K or an Ironman, doesn't matter what the distance is you have to have what I refer to as a bag of whys, meaning you have a bag. So imagine like a coin pouch, you're now in medieval England and you're carrying a coin pouch and you have a bunch of coins in there and each of them on it has a reason that you're doing this. Um, because one singular 
coin at any time can be spent mm -hmm. and then you no longer have it. It doesn't have value anymore. You, you, you reach into that bag and it's just not there. So it's important to have multiple whys. And for me, that why in the bag of whys has changed over time. Um, for the longest time, I, I think in part, it was a matter of this deep-seated desire to feel like I'm enough. Mm. And validation came through succeeding and, and getting awards and um, you know adulation from friends, teammates, parents, coaches, um, kind of like seeking approval in some ways. And now that's not the only reason, but there's definitely a component there. Um, I mean, I also find just joy in the motion. Mm -hmm. There is the ability, not always, um, today was not a particularly great running day. It snowed here in Kansas City for no reason at all. Um, it's springtime, so depending on when you're watching this, that may or may not be relevant. Uh, but there is the ability to find this place where you're moving and you become motion. It's you're in the zone, uh, so to speak in, you know, colloquial terminology, but it, it's a matter of letting your mind fade away and becoming still in a sense. Um, and I think there's some joy in that. There's also type two fun, which is the kind of fun where, you are not having fun at this moment, but when you look back on it and you tell the story, then it's fun. <laughs> um, that, you know, my friend Kevin and I, who raced together for a number of years and met uh, post-college trying to get this professional license, we talk about that. We talk about how there's pros that talk about that and it's not fun for them either. It sucks for them too, um, mm -hmm. but there's that type two fun where it's, it's fun after the fact. And I've got numerous times where um it's just hurt pretty much the whole way through and i during the event i go why am i doing this what a, like what is the point of doing this and then by the end I, you know i'm done and i can reflect on it in a few days and i'm like all right i'm ready to do another um so the why is no singular entity and again it changes but those are kind of a few of the things that have fueled me over the years I think it's interesting that you call because they always say you need to have the why. And I love that you are willing to say sometimes that why isn't always going to carry you through. Sometimes you need a bag of whys, which I love that idea that you may need a few reasons, whether it's just having a moment of being in the zone and just being still. I love that idea of when you get a rhythm, your body kind of goes on automatic and you get some time for your brain just to be still and your body just to be still in that automatic motion. I love the idea of of that as far as a, a one of the one of the whys is finding a space away from everything and everybody just to be still while your body's moving cool that, cool thought cool idea the whole yeah. idea with the, the bag of whys is that it, it's admitting that we are human and in in very few circumstances is one singular reason going to be enough for us mm -hmm. always mm -hmm. knowing that you know even if you have, I have a lot of internal drive. Um, I, and I think is in part genetic, um, though I could be wrong. There are, you know, any of those reasons I could try to reach for them. And at some point I'm probably going to be hurting enough that I go, okay, yeah, I want to be a pro, but like my whole body's on fire right now. Do I really want to be a pro that bad? It's like, oh, I don't think so. 
and you think about, well, you know, who am I? Do I quit? No. Well, that's another why. And maybe that's what fuels me in that moment of weakness where I don't care about that pro card anymore or, or whatever that reason is. I don't care about that primary reason, but that secondary reason that, I, you know, I don't quit. That's something even deeper down. And I go, that's something I can latch on to. I can endure this because of this other reason. And when you layer them, you have that bag of whys, or maybe it's a cake of whys if you like cake and you like layers. Um, you know, when you, when you layer them, it becomes easier to be consistent mm -hmm. because you're not, there's no single point of failure anymore. Yeah. Interesting. I love that. I, when you're speaking about that, I am totally just visualizing a little, um, you know, maybe like my little gunny sack full of coins. And the first thing that I'm thinking is those, those bubblegum coins that are gold and you get them and they're bubblegum because I have the kids, but then I'm reaching into that bag and I'm pulling out the coin and unwrapping it and, and it's inscribed with my why. And so I love that. That is, and having multiple ones, I never thought about that before. I thought, man, I just need to have my why. And that one thing is going to drive me and drive me and drive me. Um, so back in 2018, you got in a really bad accident, mm -hmm. um, broke your collarbone. I mean, tell us about that and, and why, where did you go? What, I mean, you reached into this bag of whys and did you restart? I mean, did it destroy everything? How, how was your mental ability to come back from that? So 2018, we are at uh, 70.3 Eagle Man. So one of those half Ironman events I'd mentioned. Um, again, we are, I'll have to think about this. We're basically, this is, I think, the eighth or ninth season of me racing triathlon by this point. I started in the middle of college and then continued after college. And I, this is at the height of my training where I'm putting in, you know, 18 to 20 hour weeks, which is like, my biggest ride, my biggest day is Sundays where I go out for a five hour bike ride and then I come back home and I go run for a half hour after I'm done with that. And it basically takes a whole day. Um, Crazy. It's, it's like an entire work shift just to get a workout in. And uh, I mean, I mean, in just for me, uh, incredible shape. And I knew I needed to finish somewhere around four hours, 15 minutes or so. And that would probably be enough to place top three, which would earn me my professional license. So um, thinking of mental health, this is a little bit of a side note, but is somewhat important. That weekend is actually um, the week that Anthony Bourdain killed himself. And he was a big piece of my life in, in a way to catapult me to travel abroad. And I traveled to Montreal and met friends and learned French because of that. And so, you know, mental health was certainly on my mind at the time because of that. And so I go into the race, you know, being pretty affected. You know, I, I don't know that a, a celebrity death had really ever affected me. Maybe Robin Williams a little bit, but this felt a little closer to home because of my personal connection to, re, you know, reasons I had done things in my life. And uh, you never know how a day is going to go when you go out to race, but you have to just let it go and say, it'll be what it'll be. You know, I've, it's a Midwest thing, but we say the hay's in the barn. Basically, you've collected all your hay for the season. 
it's in the barn. There's nothing you can do now. It, it, it you know, that's where it is. So go into the race, just let's see what's happens. You know, the last few days have been pretty hectic with that going on, but um, we'll see how it goes. So I get in the water, get out of the water, feeling okay. And see my time. It's fastest swim I've ever done. I'm feeling great. Get onto the bike, feeling good. Everything's moving smoothly. So like easy. It, it this kind of day comes about it now once every few years um, because I only race a couple times a year and it was just set up to be a beautiful day. I was traveling roughly 25 miles an hour on the bike, which is the fastest I've ever gone. I knew I was on pace to hit that target time to get my professional license and uh, 20, somewhere between mile 24, 26, somewhere in there. So 25, give or take. Um, we're going around a left-hand turn. A gentleman comes to pass me on the inside of the turn, which you are not supposed to do uh, for safety reasons. And I move out to the outside of the road. I didn't see what happened, but it had to have been a patch of gravel. Um, you know, just road debris. Because they're, they're actual roads that are used by cars. They're shut down for this particular event. Um, but just regular regular roads, uh, dry, you know, hadn't been raining anything, weather was nice. And so I hit the pavement, uh, going 25 miles an hour and just immediately kind of in shock, I guess I'll say where I had to get up. It was a blind corner. So I need, I knew I needed to stand up, get my bike out of the road. So nobody else came around the corner and hit me and crashed themselves. I, you know, I wasn't worried so much about me as like, I don't want to screw up anybody else's day so i get my bike to the side of the road i kind of stand there for a second my vision goes white for i'm not quite sure how long could have been 30 seconds a minute um it kind of returns to me i check myself out I, I reach up to my collarbone and i just feel this um absence of collarbone basically um so you said i'd broken it i think you said broke I, I use the word shattered and I don't say that lightly um, because it was split down the middle. Then a chunk had broken off and, and wandered its way deeper into me. And then it was like also um, kind of contorted. So if you see my fingers, it was like split down the middle and then one piece was like this and then another piece just floating around here. Um, so I had plenty of people coming around the bend asking me, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? No. No, no, I'm not. And um, so I, I'm not quite sure exactly how long it was. The, the bike tech arrived to kind of check on me. And then finally the ambulance arrived to take me to the emergency room. And uh, from there, a little bit of a whirlwind, you know, taking x-rays. Uh, my girlfriend at the time, I was, I was more emotional because I knew, <laughs> I knew she was going to be really emotional because she's always worried that something's going to happen. Um, and here, here I am in the emergency room and hmm. I know they've got to make this call to her. And, uh, so I, I mostly kept it together, uh, just talking to the, the paramedic in the ambulance. He got some painkillers in me before the, the shock had really worn off. So I didn't really get a whole lot of pain at the time. Um, I don't think I started crying until, 
I was in the emergency room and, and my girlfriend arrived or now fiance, as I mentioned before we got going, we're getting married next week. Um, but it was, yeah, so it was a whirlwind and I had to, I had to come home uh, with a, well, I actually had one of my, one of my other friends I met who was also trying to earn his professional license there. I had to text him and cause he was like, you know, what happened? Where were you? Cause we should have finished similar around similar times. He's a much better swimmer than I am, but I usually catch up to him by the end. I had to text him about what happened and, you know, pack up my bike stuff with one arm and the bike techs were, were very gracious to help me disassemble my bike, uh, to get it back home. And it was eight days later before I had surgery, um, to repair it. And so then, you know, rehab within a couple months, I was fine physically, but I, I was very much broken mentally. I mean, I was in a very, it, it it's hard to describe because in some ways it was life like normal. Once I was physically fine and ready to go, I was back in the pool. I was training. Um, but it was also too heavy in some ways that I had put so many hours, so many years, so much time into, you know, getting this professional license, which, I knew wasn't really, you know, it's not really in the cards for me uh, in the sense that there are certain criteria that USA triathlon looks for when they're trying to recruit people out of college to become pros. And I was not quite there, but they were gracious to to let me tag along. Um, So it was more of a personal challenge. And with that event, it really just felt like a, a systematic shock where I just didn't have the fire just wasn't burning as brightly as it as it used to. And I just didn't have it. And it was, uh, I mean, several years, I would say even till, you know, maybe even four or five months ago, um, that I start to feel more normal. Uh, I'm not sure in some ways if I will ever feel the same, if I'm honest. Uh, but you know, I've shifted focus back to running, which is kind of where I come from and said, Hey, you know, I, I want to go, go back, you know, take it back and see if I can run some lifetime best times in, you know, my favorite events, which are shorter 5k, 10k and see if I can do that before I'm too old to do so anymore. So that's the long version of the, the long story instead of the long version short. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of where I am now. Wow. That's incredible. So a lot of questions like came into my mind as you're telling this story. Go for it. Um, So how did you like deal with the concept of this wasn't even my fault? I mean, this guy came in, he was breaking the safety rule and, you know, and you had to counter for that. And this accident happened. I mean, how are you taking responsibility for that? And how is that messing with your head? Because an athlete, you know, when you're playing a sport, sometimes it's not your fault and you get hurt because of what other people do. Mm-hmm. But how did that affect you with someone else's error destroying your life? Well, I, I think it's a little hyperbolic to say it destroyed my life. Well, um, yeah, correct. <laughs> and I, I, I appreciate you saying that because. It didn't. And that's exactly 
the attitude that I was going for. Right. Well, it's, it's so, you know, it's, it's one of those things in, and I'll be the first to say that I could be short tempered. Um, not that I'm a maniac, but just like, I let little things bother me when I'm working. I'm just like, why isn't this the way it's supposed to be? You know, just get frustrated with things. Um, and you would think that in such a moment that I would be absolutely furious with whoever it was. Um, and the honest truth is I wasn't somehow, you know, I, I, I remember thinking I should be mad at him, mm -hmm. but I was like, you know, it, I've probably done the same thing. I've probably passed people when I probably shouldn't have, or, you know, it, it, it is not a, I should clarify too, that it is not a, uh, it, there's, it's not like a, a punishable offense in the racing rules to do so. There are drafting rules or you can't do certain things and you'll get penalties. You can be disqualified. It is not in the written rule book to not do that. So it, it's, yeah. it's not an offense on that scale, but it is, like my coach is, uh, he comes from a cycling background. He works with USA Cycling. He's uh, coached a Paralympic gold gold medal cyclist. Um, so he has a very high level cycling background. And he's just like, that is, that's basically an unspoken rule that you don't do that because of the danger of passing on an inside turn. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that I gave it too much thought. I don't remember giving it too much thought. Um, because it didn't matter. It really didn't matter. And there's this, um, I don't know if it's a cone, but uh, that's K-O-A-N cone. Uh, there's this uh, Buddhist parable talking about um, if you get shot with an arrow, are you going to focus on who shot you and why, or are you going to focus on getting the arrow out? Yeah. You know, I, I'm, it's, it's much longer, more eloquent than that. Uh, so I'm sure I've, mess it up but that that's basically the the idea is like it it doesn't really matter that he came by me and i crashed and that was basically the source of what happened i can't do anything about that it did happen so what can i do well i can go see the orthopedic surgeon he says you need surgery and i go i knew that <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> um, most people who break their collarbone do not need surgery, but in my case, it was you know needed. So go do that. I can go do physical therapy. Um, you know, try to be as gracious with my you know girlfriend at the time as I could be because she was helping me out and she'd have to like help me shower because I could only use one arm and uh, lived in a drafty apartment, so it was <laughs> showers were cold. Cause you had to like keep the curtain open. So it's like, that, that was not, that was not fun. And it, it was tough for her cause she's trying to help me and she knows I'm struggling. Um, but you just, you just figure out what, what's the next step. And I raced, you know, I raced the next season um, without as much fire. So not as easy to stay in, in as high a level of shape, but it was like, well, this is, this is what I do. I mean, I've been running since I was 12 and then I do triathlon now. So we'll go out and race and, you know, it doesn't matter whether I'm chasing that pro card or not. It's, it's still 
as long as I enjoy it, I'll continue to do it. And that's part mm-hmm. of why I've come back to like the 5k, 10k is that in part time constraints, I run two small businesses. So that is, you know, a factor in my life. Um, but also I had find the most joy in running, um, sometimes swimming, but that's my background. So I, you know, come back to the thing that, that brings me the most joy, um, and just figure out, okay, what are we going to do now? And that, mm. that's, that's the, the long and short of it. Yeah. You know I love, I love what you said that, you know, it didn't matter. It wasn't, it could have been his fault. Maybe it wasn't his fault, but it didn't matter. That was done and it's over with. What is next? What, what do I do now? And I appreciate what you said. The, the question that I'm thinking now is, wow, all of these athletes are impacted with some sort of an accident or some sort of event or things in their life. And now you had, you'd said it, you're, you're coming back the next year at half the fire or not all of the fire that you had before. Was that out of fear? Was that because of, you know, just the unknown? What was keeping you from being a, like 100% fire? Was there a, an underlining reason that you can think of? Well, sure. I mean, the, so part of that, you know, bag of whys, or in this case, a, a log to build that bonfire, um, depending on how we want to torture the metaphor, <laughs> it, it was becoming a professional. Mm. And I simply didn't have it in me to get back to that level of training because I'd put so much, I mean, I was exhausted all the time. And, you know, I, I speak with um, like a couple weeks ago, I was speaking with uh, Kim Vandenberg, who is a 2008 Olympian. She medaled uh, in the relay. They got the bronze medal talking about Olympians and high level athletes. And even though my performance was not Olympic level, as far as, the capacity that my body could handle, you know, we're talking about a similar kind of idea where I'm pushing myself to the, the absolute limit that I can handle. So me, along with many of, uh, you know, our Olympians across the globe uh, end up being miserable because of how much time and effort and energy it takes to be at the peak of your game. Mm. And I simply didn't have that in me anymore because of I had to take several months off, which sets you back quite a ways, um, which meant I knew if I wanted to get back to where I was pre-accident, it was probably going to be a minimum of two years of training to resharpen to that point. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a big mental hurdle to, to, to get over when you're just coming back from an injury and to say, okay, I, I'm recommitted to this because I'd already been chasing it for eight years, you know, unsuccessfully getting kind of close, but not quite. Um, and that was the most tantalizingly close. And, you know, depending on which episode of my podcast you'll listen to, sometimes you'll hear me say, I'm confident I would have made it. And other times I'll say, well, I'm not sure. And it, it's not a matter of me trying to fabricate the truth so much as it is the speculation in my own mind and just the uncertainty of it, you know? So it, anyway, I, 
I've, I've gotten, I've gotten down a rabbit hole here, but it's <laughs> okay. Um, no, that's perfectly fine. Yeah, I, so, so that was, anyway, that to, to answer your question, that's basically it. It was a, I just, I wasn't, I wasn't in a place to, to recommit to that. And, yeah. and that, you know, was such a big driver that that's why I kind of came back, uh, you know, at, at half capacity, so to speak. And sometimes, you know, half capacity is all you've got. Yeah. And so you give it a hundred percent. And does that mean you're at half capacity or is that you're at a hundred percent? Cause that is what you're giving. You're giving that willpower to everything you have and your physical ability is just that it is what it is. I love what you said um, earlier. You said, what's next? Now you've got this accident, you, you know, you're, you're coming back and you're always asking what's next. Where am I? Um, you mentioned you're running two businesses. Um, a lot of athletes struggle with the fact that they get to the top and then what, what's next? Um, you know, life after athletics, is that something that you've experienced in your, your mental abilities is sports isn't the main thing that I was meant to do. Maybe it was something else. Well, I think it's a, sometimes, uh, maybe in my case, maybe not in everybody's case, but uh, I wonder if it's a fallacy to think about this is the thing I was meant to do. Because what if that thing isn't a thing anymore, especially for athletes. And, you know, that's why in part, like on, so my show is the smart athlete podcast. And I, so I focus on people who are athletes and something else. So it's kind of a sub niche. We're not, I don't just talk to athletes. They need to have something else going on. And that kind of hits home with me in, in part, because I've always done a lot of things. Um, athletics, you know, caught my fancy early on running, but there are other things to do. I think it's a dangerous place to be when you define yourself solely by this thing. I'm a runner. I'm a triathlete. I'm a swimmer. I'm a football player because there's a point when you may not be that thing anymore. But the thing is that you were never that thing to begin with. You participated in that activity, but that isn't the essence of who you are. I think your essence or who you are is deeper than that. It's how you go about that activity. You know, how you approach it. How do you support your teammates, your friends? How do you deal with challenges? And none of these things are static either. I think there's this yeah, so I spent, I spent a fair amount of time studying Buddhism in, in college, as college students are wont to do. Um, but there's this idea about the self in, in kind of Western thinking. We think about me or the identity as this unchangeable permanent object that I am me. Hmm. But that's easily holes are poked in that when we realize that well, in me today, or you, Ryan, if you're thinking about, I mean, you've got boys, I think you said, if you think about when you're their age, 
are you the same person that you were then? Well, no. No way. No. Right. So is that self? Is there is there a kernel of something that never changes about the self? I don't think so. And so when you begin to realize that the self is malleable, it doesn't have to be solely defined by one aspect and just that, you know, you're, I'm a runner or I'm a swimmer or whatever the thing is that you do that you find joy in, which is awesome. It doesn't necessarily define you. You have the ability and potentially the genesis to be somebody else. And for me, you know, that comes in many forms. I'm, you know, a, a small business owner and uh, I'm a inventor and I'm, you know, COVID has given me the opportunity to come back to composition and composing music, um, which I started out in college thinking I wanted to be a film composer and gave that up after I think two years and I'll change my major and said, there's no way I'm going to make a living doing this. So I've come back to the place of, well, let's think about that long-term and continue to work on what I'm doing now and think if I get to a place where, um, you know, maybe I sell the businesses down the line, maybe I don't, I don't know, but I pursue that thing. And, and so I say, okay, let's study, you know, writing, writing music. And it's, so I say I'm a composer and that's kind of our language. We say, you know, the way we present it in English, I am this thing, but it's more like I do this thing. And maybe the, you know, mind, spirit, body has these skills or creativity, but even that thing is not solid, tangible. It's, it's malleable. So I'm just wary of the idea that we can't change who we are. I love that term. I do this versus I am this. Um, that, wow. I was just like, okay, so <laughs> that is so true. Cause I can conform. I can create whatever I want. I can be whatever I want. And it is driven by what I do and defined by what I do, or really is it? Um, so that is, I love that. That's, that's powerful. Um, do you think, do you think as athletes, we have, we've labeled ourselves as a football player, as a pro player, as a college player. Um, you said something that just, that just in, like drove this question into my mind. I don't know. Do you think athletes or as an athlete of your own, um, was there a point where your ego was in the way and you were saying, you were afraid to say, I don't know. You had to have, you had to know everything about your sport. You had to be a hundred percent. You had to be training every day. Is there a time where it was like, you were afraid that people would see you differently if you didn't know something about your sport or you didn't know how to be a hundred percent during practice? Um, no, I, I'm not sure that rings home for me that much. Um, unfortunately, I wish I had a really great answer teed up for you. <laughs> um, I, I think, so there is the idea and, and it varies. I'll, I'll speak to the messages I guess I've received is what it means to be a man. 
um, because women receive different messages and I haven't lived that experience. So I can only, um, you know, shallowly talk about the messages that women receive, but um, there's this idea about, you know, needing to know all the answers and being right and, and having, you know, these deep knowledge of things. And, and I do somehow end up being the people, the person that people ask for things, um, even randomly, I, it, you know, it, I would be at track meets minding my own business and strangers would come up to me. Hey, do you know where this is? Hey, do you know where that is? And it would happen frequently. I could be on vacation. I, I, I distinctly remember, as I mentioned, uh, I can't remember whether it was before we got going or no, is because I was mentioning Bourdain. So when I was in Montreal for the third time, I think somebody saying, asking me about the street signs, what are the street signs say? Mike, well, they say this, but I only knew that because I'd spent the time to learn. You've been there before. Well, I've been there before and I'd spent a, like a thousand hours learning French by that point, um, which I'm, I'm rusty. So I hope you don't speak French. No, <laughs> for sure. I do not speak. Okay. Um, I, I could get by, but it would, it, we would be, it would be, it would definitely not be a, a great conversation. Um, so I definitely get asked things, but thinking about, the idea of what it means to be a man and having to know all these answers. Um, my opinion for what that's worth is that the strongest position you can be in is to first be able to admit that you don't know something. And more importantly, and I think this is particularly essential right now, um, be able to admit you when you're wrong and apologize mm. because we yeah. are all going to be wrong. I, I would bet everything I have on that, that everybody will be wrong at some point in time, including yourself and your ego, as you mentioned, does get in the way of saying, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I'll correct it. And if you come from a place of knowing for sure, I'm going to screw up at some point and you accept that, then it becomes easier to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry let me fix it. Some yeah. things unfortunately can't be fixed. Um, I can't go back to ever having a collarbone that was not broken. Um, but in many, many, and most cases, things can be remedied. So hmm. I think that's the most beneficial place to come from. Yeah. So Amy had mentioned earlier in the recording that we have a lot of athletes that are coming back into their sport after a year of COVID and being, you know, not involved in it every day like they used to be. You had mentioned only a couple of months being down and then that putting you back or setting you back a couple of years. So how do these athletes that have been at the top of their game, they've taken almost a year off or their practices were just skiwampus because of, because of COVID, now they're getting back into their sport. What advice would you give them on staying focused, staying devoted and not getting discouraged because they can't perform at the level that they used to because of what has happened over the last year? Well, a couple of things. First, uh, find joy in what you're doing. If you're not, if you don't find, and that doesn't mean that every single set, every single rep, every single day has to be this big joyous event because it's not going to be, it's not realistic 
this idea that we reach this place of enlightened joyfulness and happiness everything every single day is a farce but if you find no joy at any time in what you're doing find something else so if you're returning to mm. your sport and you haven't done it but you're still finding joy in it there's value in that and that adds value to your life secondly don't take yourself too seriously well, you know this was was the phrase so we don't take yourself too seriously none of us get out alive you know, it, 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 I don't know how I've spoken to pro athletes. I've spoken to amateur athletes. I've spoken to Olympians. It, nobody is ever going to be at the top forever. It just doesn't happen. Hmm. And you have personal expectations, but that doesn't mean anything in the sense that your expectations may be met by reality. They may be exceeded or they may not happen. So having the expectations is fine as long as you're okay with letting them go. I come back to this quote from uh, serial entrepreneur, Peter Sage, a fair amount of times. He was on uh, the podcast, uh, London Real. I watched this a number of years ago. This is quite an old show at this point. Um, and he talks about stress in our lives comes from the difference between our expectations and reality. Mm, I we like expect that. it to be a certain way and it's not. And that's stressful to us. We just, it should be this way. And whenever you find yourself uttering this word should take a moment and realize that word doesn't need to be in your vocabulary. Should doesn't help you in this, in this mm. atmosphere because you need to focus on what is and take steps from that place because should doesn't serve you. It maybe it is something that's pervasive in your circle, but it doesn't, it doesn't push you forward. Now I had said, I thought it would take me two years to get back to that point. That is my estimation from that title. Is that the reality of it? I don't know. It may not have been, but I was crushed under a lot of turmoil, basically, at the time. Yeah. A good example is uh, my guest from last week, Lee Gingrich, who I don't remember. I think I mentioned earlier in, in the show, in the recording, and she she had done two Olympic trials when she was, a, I think, a freshman and senior in high school in swimming. She swam through college and then was burnt out by the end of college, 2012. She took six years off from swimming. She didn't do a thing. She didn't get in the water. She didn't work out. She did nothing for six years. Wow. And she, now she's been training for 2018 rolled around and she finally decided to get back in the pool just, just for fun, just for funsies. Hey, we'll get back in with the master's team. And she was coaching. Um, well, I'll get in, swim a little bit and just see what happens. And within a few months, she was, thinking maybe I should make a go of this. And within the first year, she was back to all time, newest, fastest times for a lifetime. She'd taken six wow. years off. So will that happen for everybody? No, but that doesn't mean that you can't find fulfillment in whatever you're doing, regardless of whether you get back to that peak. And it doesn't mean you're not gonna get to that peak. It depends living with that uncertainty is the difficult part 
But if you're able to find joy and not take yourself too seriously, then it's much easier to live with that uncertainty because you're getting something out of your activity regardless of the results. That's, yeah, that's true. I love that. And just, just, I mean, even in life in general, finding joy in everything that we do, if we're not finding joy, what's the point? It is definitely not serving you. And I'm, so I'm going to use that. I, I love that. Um, the last thing I wanted to, was to talk about is what is, you had mentioned you have your bag of whys and they are your motivators. Um, would you mind sharing with us like your two top motivators, like your whys, your coins that you said you'd reach in your bag and you have these coins? What are your two? I mean, is there two that are more important than others to you? Or is there just any that you could share pretty generic as just, this is mine. You can only speak for yourself, but it might help other people realize that, oh, it is that simple. It's something like a, like a five word sentence that drives you. You know, it, it's tough um, because I've been doing this so long. I mean, this is my now uh, 20th year of competitive running. So I don't know that I need all of the, the whys that people think of anymore where I need more medals on my wall. I need more trophies. I need a mm. professional license. I, I think most days what I'm chasing is a sense of freedom. And I, I'm, I'm looking for those days and they don't happen as often. Um, they don't happen often at all, really. But those days where you just feel good everything's, everything's gelling, you know, everything's smooth. You just feel great in that motion. Um, whether it's in the pool or running or cycling, uh, cycling seems to be the one that happens the least for me. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I think that's mostly it. And that I, you know, a little bit of that type two fun, I like it afterwards. Um, and some of it's simply just going to be, I've been doing it for so long. This is just what I do. I get up, I, you know, I go do the thing and I've, it's in part, it's a moment for me to have time to myself away from screens, um, not on a phone. I, I highly advocate not taking music with you to run. That's my own personal experience. I, I never, I think maybe once I've tried it, not a big fan. Um, because I think it's time to, you know, focus on what you're doing, number one, but also uh, pay attention to the things that are going on in your mind. Now, what's bubbling to the surface? You know, what are you thinking about? Mm. Um, so there's a lot of little reasons like that. I don't know that there's any main motivator. If there is right now, it's simply trying to maybe recapture some of that college speed and, and get that done before I can't anymore and I'm too old. Um, but largely it's, it's looking for that, that, that moment of bliss, that moment of freedom within motion that you can find in, in these particular sports, um, you know, by yourself 
regardless of whether you've got other people around. Yeah. I like how you did that, like that statement right there. By yourself, nobody's around. That brings me right back to like one of my whys in everything that I do. I always make sure that it's for me. And uh, too many people are trying to please everybody else, their parents, their neighbors, their family, um, brothers, sisters, coworkers, a boss, whatever it might be, other athletes, their coach. Why are you trying to do this for other people? And it's always comes down to me. I do it for me. And um, I love that, you know, finding joy in it. That is, if it's not joyful, then what's the point? It's, it's not bringing you anything. It's not serving you in any way. So I, I really appreciate you on this podcast. Um, in, as we wrap things up, do you want to take a few minutes and talk about your podcast, um, the things that you're, you're doing to help athletes and how we can get a hold of you uh, in the future if anybody would like to participate in any of the things that you're doing? And then we can recap and close the, close, close the podcast. Sure. So um, as I've mentioned a few times, my show is called the Smart Athlete Podcast. Um, you can find it on our website, solpri.com slash S-A-P. It's S-O-L-P-R-I.com slash S-A-P. Uh, that's the video version. There's also a transcription. So if you want to read through instead of listening, watching, you can do that too. It's also available on um, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, all the typical players. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I do on my show is I have a singular question I ask every single guest for each season. And this season's question is, um, how do you stay motivated after failing to reach a goal? Because I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with. And I want people to have the opportunity to, you know, hear from the top people in their sports and average Joe's, you know, I'll say average Joe's, which is, I don't mean to be demeaning. I would consider myself. (laughs) Nobody's average. average. We'll just start with that. And then wherever we go from there is up to them. It's just basically the chasm between Olympians and and everybody else is what I'm trying to describe. Um, (laughs) But just that's something that I think is important to hear from people is exactly what, all of these people have to say there's you know there's various themes that kind of run through and then there's variations that each person brings to it but um you know so that's obviously the show is free and available to everybody my company Solpre, uh currently focuses on skincare for athletes uh, body care for athletes so we make uh products that deal with chlorine for swimmers neutralize that with plant-based formulas we have natural soap that deals with like fungus because that's a big problem when you sweat a lot. Yeah. Um, and then I am currently working on uh, the next generation of sports drink. Uh, and that'll be hopefully coming out mid summer. We'll see how R and D and production goes. Um, but I'm awesome. hoping to take, like I said, sports drinks to the next level and really do something different than what you, you typically see. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the long and short of it. If you're into running, you can also check out my show. It's called Runner's High on YouTube, youtube.com slash Solpri. Again, S-O-L-P-R-I. Um, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I come out with new episodes of Runner's High where we talk about everything from, um, you know, what to do if you got to 
go poo in the woods to how do you run your new fastest 5k it's it's anything is fair game i just had a way i just had a flashback of dora the explorer the movie <laughs> and i don't know if you've seen it but it I'm was just, oof, right in my head when you said that when you said that well i appreciate your time jesse um this is ryan uh, with athletes mindset academy um, just to recap, I love what you had said. And it's not, I am it's, I do, uh, because I can be whatever I want and I'm not labeling myself in any way. It is all comes down to what I do, uh, finding joy and avoiding the word should that, that word I see myself saying all the time. And, you know, I should have more money. I should be doing this, or I should be doing that. I should be at this point. I should have reached that goal. And I didn't. Um, just putting myself back in check and, and back into balance. It's not should, it's where am I? What, what am I doing right now? Um, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. So I appreciate your time today. And if anybody ever gets a chance, they can hook, um, tune into your show. I'm sure that would be fantastic for anybody that, that is in the athletic world or not. I've enjoyed our time today. And we're going to close this podcast. You have any last comments? Other than that, we are wrapping up. I think we've covered it. Okay. Well, this is Ryan with uh, Athletes Mindset Academy saying goodbye to everybody, and we will catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in. We believe that you've got this, but we would love to help you in your athletic journey. We know you need to get maximum results in the shortest time possible. So we've created a program with short, effective lessons and coaching that you can fit between practice and the rest of life. We coach parents, coaches, and athletes in the mental and emotional health tools they need to create an environment for athletes to thrive. Invest in the one thing that will have the greatest impact on your success, your mind. Check us out at athletesmindsetacademy.com. Let's do this.